Hello and welcome to another episode of The Grey NATO. It's a loose discussion of travel, adventure, diving, driving gear, and most certainly watches. This is episode 237, and it's proudly brought to you by the ever-growing TGN supporter crew. We thank you all so much for your continued support, and if you'd like to support the show, please visit thegreynato.com for more details. So this is a special episode, as I'm sure many of you would have guessed from the title, which usually gives these things away, but this was recorded while Jason was away in Scotland, and we're joined by a very special guest host. He's a new voice to the show, but if you love great car content, he's quite likely not a new voice on your YouTube or Instagram feed. Please welcome a new friend of mine, watch nerd, hot shoe, co-host of The Throttle House on YouTube, Thomas Holland. Hello. Thank you for having me. How are we doing? I'm doing excellent. I, you know, I think this is the first time I've ever recorded an episode in my living room. Really? Yeah. This is a nice place to sit. We were just chatting about this, actually. Like, you've, it's very well decorated. It's eclectic. I feel inspired. I have, yeah, here. we have one one room that's suitable for guests, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, yeah. The other one, you saw the office, which is a lot of watch boxes I had, had a rowing and... machine, that's all I need. It's, it's just a room with a rowing machine, right? <laughs> it has that too, yeah, yeah, and it's also a dining room. <laughs> it, multifunctional, yeah, that's, that's the name how, of the game. you gotta do, you gotta yeah. do. But yeah, it's, uh, it's a pleasure to have you here. We've, we got to know each other just uh, like in the last six months or so. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it was just like, I don't even remember who... Did I did I reach out to you and be like poke poke hi? I think I, I was like I think I was probably commenting on on some of the stuff you guys were posting. Yeah, we started chatting on Instagram. Yeah, like there's so much crossover between our worlds. I like I started listening to the podcast before I was speaking to you because like you guys kind of capture I don't know what the word is. It's like this thing that everyone kind of that does these things. They all like all of the things. Like we we all like camping, we all sure. like gear, we all like watches and cars. It's just this. My wife laughs at it because because she, she's like, "Wait a second, they all like all of the same things that you like." <laughs> and I'm like, "Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> this is the thing. Like, you literally have a Reinhold Messner book down there. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> right? So yeah, it's it's this it's this bizarre thing that when you like gear, it just spreads, right? It ends up liking engineering and technology. Yep. You get involved in watches and get interested in cars. It's awesome. I love it. And it's, it's all the same touch points. I mean, like this is like a pretty common topic when you, uh, you know, I'm sure the same for you if you get interviewed by somebody kind of out of your space or in mm-hmm. more of a populated yeah. general media sort of concern. Yeah. They're always saying like, well, so is it cars and what other stuff? And you're like, it's the same. Like, it's cars. It's also yeah, trackers. It's, it's, it's the also same planes. Thing. Yeah. It's also cool elevators. Like, I don't know. You tell me. That is, like, oh, my goodness. So it's show, literally. Show like, I like a good bridge, too. Like, it doesn't have to be anything, too. Like, no, like anything, anything that is mechanical or whatever I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, there's literally an SR-71 Blackbird sitting on top of your audio receiver right there and i can't stop looking at it yeah, it's fun because it's just like the coolest looking thing yeah, ever it, made that is the best human creation of all time. it honestly might be Such genuinely an expensive camera yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah it's i don't know i don't really know what it is i think it is it just stems from like an interesting an interest in science and engineering i suppose I think it's also design and personal style like like you know, we still live in a world that even way more than watches where the car that you drive or the car that you choose to drive still says something about, you know, whether you like it or not, it does. And a lot of people don't even realize that they buy a car that fits them in their lifestyle by the car that you've chosen. I can usually tell you what your lifestyle is, right? I can profile the person that drives a certain type of car. So yeah, whether you like it or not, a car is part of the image of who you are. Yeah. And and, and in a similar way to watches, and I've brought this up before using the Miata as a, as Mm -hmm. an example. Yeah. There's also layers of, like how enthusiasm relates on the product. Like if you ask a Corvette guy about Corvettes, you get an entirely different answer than if you ask a generalist car, deep car enthusiast who bought a Corvette for specific reasons. 
right. they bought that car, the same car, for entirely different reasons than its core audience. Exactly. And, you know, the Miata, for some people, certain generations, people who are only tangentially in or understand cars, yep. is, you know, a lady's car, a hairdresser's right. car, whatever right. kind of misogynist thing would have exactly. been said 20 that's, years that's ago. That's the classic thing that, you know, I, I grew up hearing from sure. every adult male that I knew, right? They're like, oh, that's a hairdresser's car. Oh, that's a lady. Yeah, exactly. But it's just... Once you get into it, as you say, once you get into the enthusiast oh, group of yeah. it, it's And then you totally realize, oh, it's the most raced car in America on any given yep. weekend. Absolutely. It's a, essentially a perfect platform for learning to drive 100%. dynamically. Yep. And yep. It is really funny to see how enthusiasm in a given topic also relates to the way that you assign baggage to, like, like and it's a different layer. It's because it's not the product's baggage, but it is. Yes. Right. Yes, like exactly. certain watches might say something about somebody. Yep. Obviously, there's there's some great TikTok and, and like Instagram real stuff of people saying like what your watch says about you, what your yes. car says about you, this kind of stuff. And exactly. it's all hilarious because it, it touches on some point of a truth. Yep. But very seldomly the, the whole thing. And of course, then right. you're also putting a personality or anthropomorphizing to some extent like the the baggage, the the sort of ethos of a vehicle or a watch or a pair of shoes or whatever. <laughs> and, and and it's funny, like especially in the car enthusiasm world, people they most car enthusiasts will recognize what the what the the generalizations are about the car that they drive. Yeah. And the ones with a sense of humor will make fun of themselves oh, for, yeah, the, for that, right? The Jeep but, is great for this. Yes, exactly. Right. So but it, but that that's the fun thing about car as you say, car enthusiasts within a certain group, you'll have every different type. It'll be the people that rebel against it. Like sure. that's not what the image is. There'll be people that accept it and joke about it. There'll be the people that are that thing for real. But uh yeah, when it comes to the Miata, speaking of that, like I'll, I'll never admit to my co-host James. Shout out James. Not, James. not 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 this co-host, James, but other co-host James. Yeah, the Miata is still to this day, I think, one of the only and best pure little driving experiences that you can get, essentially. Yeah, I think right? they're rad. But but like a Corvette, like a, we were just talking about Mustang before uh, we started recording. Yeah. All of these cars have their own sort of ethos. And so and like, yeah. they absolutely do for watches, too. And there's a whole level of people who like you could love the sort of watches we talk about on TGN are an easy example. And then not have the the like cultural pin that i also wouldn't have for something like knowing what one patek philippe says versus another one what one right, signals sure, of course. Yeah. to your taste or or, yes. or your connection to the brand or the rest yeah, of it exactly. all of that kind of stuff is is kind of um hilarious and really silly but to yeah. circle back to the idea that you know your wife saying like is everybody into these things <laughs> yeah i mean maybe not not everybody we even we got a q a recently where the guy said, like, I really am only into watches, but I, I kind of suffer through the rest of it. <laughs> I was like, you know what, man, I get it. You're good. No, fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. And when it comes to watches specifically for me, I suppose, I guess when you think about it, the more you are into a thing, the more you are, you know, aware of the specificity. Yeah, exactly. Right. But so f watches for me. Thinner and thinner slices. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure that I don't want superficial is not the right word. But like, you know, I obviously read a lot about watches and listen a lot about watches. But when it comes to watches, I have my very own particular personal sure. the interests and requirements mm -hmm. that don't necessarily, you know, line up with what I suppose would be the the general accepted kind of like, oh, you know, that's the type of watch that this type of person would wear for that type of occasion sort of thing, right? Which is the reason I'm wearing this thing on my wrist right now, actually. We'll get to that in a moment. Oh, okay, okay. What do we wrist check? <gasps> yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm so course. excited. I get to be here for a wrist check. Oh, this is amazing. <laughs> well, before we get to what's on your wrist, why, yeah. why don't you give people a little bit of like a, a background in, in your... We're going to get into the YouTube stuff because I'm fascinated and you've sure. done a couple things ju even just recently. There's some stuff in the past I want to chit-chat about. Yeah. 
And so there's some incredible channels. Uh, there these absolutely days. are, yeah. and and the competition I'm sure is very fierce, and 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 the rest of it. Uh, but it feels like the YouTube side of the car world has really matured. In certain ways, it definitely has. Yeah, I mean, weirdly, when we started, we thought it was saturated, and we were like, "This is there's probably no chance that this is going to work." Yeah, that right? it could be like a business that would because you have several people now. Yeah, yeah, we have we have uh, a handful of employees. We have about uh, four four employees, I think now, and uh, and of course myself and James. But yeah, when we started, we we were like, you know, okay, there's. You know, like there's Doug Demuro and there's sure. Car Wow and there's you know like there is like a lot of a lot of competition and Motor Trend obviously but we're just like you know let's just do something really different and see if it sticks and so that's actually when James came up with the idea to do the the sketches right, right. at the beginning of the video and those are I think those are the ones that I see reflect beyond the car core yes like they hit Reddit. Yes. The, you know, the helmet getting into the IA. The, <laughs> the get in helmet. Yeah. Bing, 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 whatever you yeah. like. That that sound. <laughs> exactly. just, if, the put, sound for some reason, everyone. It's so funny. Everyone loves it's the such sound. a funny yeah. sound. So, yeah. <laughs> it made the greatest noise. So for those of you who haven't watched the Throttle House video, one of the defining features, along with excellent cinematography and great voiceover and, and a genuine perspective on the cars, like if the car doesn't hit you guys well, we all know that by the end of the video. Yeah, we try and tell a story. Yeah. yeah, but they also all open with some sort of a skit, which could be sometimes it's four or five words. Yeah. Sometimes it feels like you guys put a ton of time and effort into walking out into the middle of some field. That's because we did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, and they're always like very funny and silly and lighthearted. Um, but there's a couple that have really stood out, you know, especially this one, this sequence from one where James, your co-host, and, and shout out James if you listen to this episode, but is getting into an i8 and yeah. because it does have it is a weird process if you're yes. tall-ish or yes. more or, to a, get into or a an human I8 being without hurting yeah it's, yourself. it's weird <laughs> exactly and he's wearing a helmet and he pings it off of the door sill the yeah. bottom of the door and then the the front of the the window frame the a frame yeah, and it a makes pillar. such yeah. a funny sound and a lot of people will say it's difficult to get in and out of but owners will agree with me that there is a special knack to it first of all you put on your get in helmet and voila it's as easy as that and people well, people like ripped it off and they put it on tiktok and they did this and they did that and we eventually got around to posting it on in a vertical format right but we we're way too late there would be like 50 bajillion views on it right um but yeah every once in a while will those like those little tiny bite-sized moments are just kind of like spur of the moment ideas usually right the uh, the, the full sketches at the beginning of videos usually take a lot more a, a lot more thought and planning um actually that's not true sometimes we come up with them in like five seconds like uh the 918 video that just came out we roasted marshmallows using the exhaust of the car we, we sent we sent our production manager I'm like go just go get some marshmallows don't ask any questions <laughs> right. but uh but yeah th those like those little moments like the the, the g-wagon wave mm -hmm. did you see that one yeah, of course okay that that went like well we posted so it, funny posted it on uh on instagram and it's got like 10 million views or something like that yeah i'll put it in the show notes it's so funny yeah yeah i think well i think james came up with it and he's like why don't we do a g-wagon wave and i was like what do you mean he's like you're just gonna throw cash just throw it <laughs> and then we, we we happened to be borrowing that 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 g-wagon from a dealership and and the uh the manager there was a really great guy and we're like do you want to go out and do the opposing g-wagon so he grabbed another g-wagon and went out on the public road he threw cash at the window um yeah no like those little moments that's what that's what we love to do that's our favorite part for sure and that has to be something that that does cause the videos to kind of 
like to attribute these kind of ladder steps in growth, right? Because otherwise yes. YouTube can be a very slow grind. Yes, 100%. until you hit a moment, right? Yeah, to to some degree. I mean, our our general idea and plan was always to just kind of make the best video we can every time and make the video that we're doing be relevant basically, right? Sure. And that that seems to have worked. But yeah, there's certain things that you'll hit and things that you'll do that will cause a huge spike in growth, right? Just because they they hit a wider audience, or whatever it is. And we got to a couple of those. I'm sure we'll get to a couple more. Obviously, I started this whole point by saying we would we would get to cars and YouTube. <laughs> have an immediately, and, and we, we got no there. So let's do uh, let's do the wrist check. Yes. Uh, what, okay. What, <laughs> okay. Thomas, my co-host, what yes. have you got on wrist today? <clears throat> I have my Zen that I just picked up. It's the 105 STSA. Yes. There's the 105 STUTC, which is the the GMT version. But this is the one with the with the day and the date. And a black dial. And a black dial. It has the tegumented bezel. Did I say that right? I believe so. Okay, because I've only say. read it. I don't I, say anything correctly. Okay, if you ask okay, the audience, good. So yes. it's all good. Um, and it's, it's, I've actually, this is the only watch I think I've worn on the bracelet it came with for more than one hour they before make a I nice switched bracelet. it to a NATO. Yeah. yeah it's all the, the beads. So it's the, the black dial, the 12 hour bezel, which kind of makes bezel. the UTC version irrelevant. And I know that back when you were first kind of hunting this down, you wrote me and you said it, the certain water, it was like 200 meters water resistance. Yeah. And a day and date. Yep. Uh, can you think of any others? And I was like, not really. There's no. not really that many. You could do the uh, Seiko, was it SKX007? Is that sure. The, yeah, I, I have one of those and I like it, but I've had it for 10 years. Yeah. I just wanted something new and fresh and whatever it was. And right? your whole different vibe between a 7S26 based yes. Seiko yeah. and a modern Zen. Yeah, oh, exactly. Um, and so basically, uh, the reason I picked up this watch is because I wanted something that I could dive with, travel with. Um, and I am pathologically incapable of remembering what day of the week it is. Cool. So I, I literally was just like, I just want to, and it's not a very common complication, honestly, especially in dive watches, right? So I wanted the day, I wanted the date. And I think that the 12 hour bezel with the sub numbers to actually time a dive as well is just the best thing ever. It's the coolest. It's just yeah. so easy. Like I absolutely love this thing. It does every single thing that I need it to do. And it actually is a, a, a bi-directional bezel too. Yeah, which is pretty common with twelve hour. Yeah, I, it's just really nice. I've I've only ever had dive watches, right? Yep. So to have it go both ways is is cool. I rambled on recently about the T fifty, which I got to see when I yes. was in. It's in really nice. I uh, really it's fantastic, like it. Yeah. But it's a it's a whole price point above. Yes. A one hundred and five. Yep. And I know that we had talked about my Pelagos when I got it, and I'm not sure that you're necessarily that titanium would have been a buying selling point for a watch like this. Maybe, maybe not. I love the idea of a titanium watch. I like I especially. Well, I really do these days. But it took me a long time to get to wanting one. Well, I think the first titanium watch I ever tried on, I think was a a, a Tissot. Tissot? Am I saying that right? Tissot. And My apologies to the audience if you can hear the leaf blower outside. Yeah, this is this it, is a classic when, joke when, in suburbia. It's not yeah. actually quiet, is it? When I come, no, never. It's never quiet it's here. Exactly, but when yeah. I come to power, they will be illegal. That's my promise. <laughs> right. uh, be prepared for the platform. You and, go, and blow the leaves. Yeah, yourself. Use yeah. a rake. Yeah, exactly. Leave like them on normal. the ground. <laughs> yeah. the leaves need them for homes. Come on. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. I tried it on and it felt too light. The titanium was just a little bit too light, mm -hmm. right? And and it it removed the fact that it cost a thousand dollars. I was like, this doesn't feel expensive enough. Mm -hmm. But then I recently tried on like the full fat Pelagos, and it has enough heft to so it. So good. I just love that watch to pieces, and I it's just slightly out of the price range. You know Blue, what I mean? black, or LHD? A hundred percent black. Just the the I love it. I just like the simple Pelagos on the bracelet. Go back and try and get a two liner. Maybe, but I I actually. 
I, I think I'm on my own in this. I really like the look of the multiple lines. I just think, the additional text? Uh, yeah, it, yeah. It just it's cool. It's just like, ooh, what does it say? I want to look at it. I mean, I know what it says, but it's just, it's, I don't know. I, I love that watch. And I, I, I've tried on yours, and I the smaller size is honestly quite nice. I really do like it. Uh, yeah, it's, it's been difficult. I have a bunch of really interesting watches in that were recording this the day that the new Marathon Navigator in Steel uh, officially yeah. dropped. Yeah. Um, so you will would have heard about it on the last episode, but I have that on the table in front of us. And I, it's just a great watch. 41 millimeters, wears really nicely. It's nice and thin. I've got the new Seiko GMT, the SPB 381. Yeah. That, oh, that's really cool. Eh? Uh, just got that in. So we'll talk about that on a on a future episode. And we're going to do some video. Like we'll, we'll do a full coverage for that for Hodinkee. It's a very cool watch. That's very nice, actually. Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty good. So I'm, I'm definitely kind of spoiled for choice these days. Yeah. Uh, and I keep just going back to the Pelagos. <laughs> Well, because I I there's it. something about them, right? There's just something about like the way the titanium looks, the way the bezel yep. looks. I just I I adore almost every version of them, honestly. And yeah, the FXD is so much fun. It is really cool. Too, yeah. too long lug to lug for my wrist. I just don't have the wrist for it. Yeah, yeah. And um, and I think if I was going to make the exception to wear a bigger watch and have the big watch experience, I yep. might want a standard blue Pelagos, which I adore. Yes. With the great oh, bracelet, the yep. incredible buckle, the the self-adjusting clasp, the rest of it. But this gets me like 90% of the way there, and it's a watch I can wear absolutely like every day that yes. I want to. Yeah. The only thing this one doesn't do really well is travel watches, which I'm just chock-a-block with otherwise. Right, exactly. I'm yeah. not short on travel watches, yeah. <laughs> so I'll, I'll, I'll be okay. Well, yeah, like the, the reason I like the Pelagos and the reason, I mean, I like this, this Zen is because like I'm a fan of... Not this is this extends past the watch world, honestly. I'm a fan of a thing that looks like it can go through the ringer. Oh, sure. Like I love the idea of something that's insanely durable. Right. So Or or just even purposeful. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. So I mean I had a I had a Certina, a DS action diver that I got in actually bought it in Switzerland years ago. Um as kind of like a um a, a, a souvenir of a trip. And I used that. I was a caving instructor and I used that for caving. I just like committed myself. I'm like, okay, this is my watch that's just going to get beat up. Sure. And and I love that about did it. Did it right? survive? It did. Absolutely. No, <laughs> I smashed it off so yeah. many rocks. Like you know, I was going through like constrictions and stuff in the cave, right? And I could feel it scraping against the rock. And I was like, oh God. And I looked at it with my flashlight. I'm like, so good. Moving on. Okay. <laughs> um, but no, I, I just, I love that. I love that about it. I just, and it was a, it was a durable watch. It never let me down. I, I've done like 50 dives with that one. Um, but I don't wear it anymore primarily because I hate the way it looks. <laughs> well, I mean, that that's a great reason to stop wearing exactly, a watch right? for sure. And, th- and that's just, that's kind of the, the, the downside of, of certain watches for me is that I'm such a, I'm such a, a sucker for a watch that just looks cool right so it, you know you could give me the best designed and most amazing thing in the world but if i don't like the way it looks i don't care i'm not gonna wear it yeah i mean that that, that gets me into like you know all sorts of things in my life like the aesthetic yeah. of it is absolutely important it's so important and with yeah. with with a watch i figure you have to check a few boxes yep to get me on board and the yeah. rest is sold by how it looks specifically right. how it looks on me exactly or yes. on the type of person that i see myself as in my mind yes <laughs> yeah, the projection of this yourself. is the james bond effect right exactly. you see the seamaster on bond you have yeah. a, a a bond seamaster i do yeah you see it and and it's not that you want to be james bond i actually think if most people were like do you want to actually be james bond like no. He has almost 30 movies of him having a pretty tough time. Oh, it's a horrible life. <laughs> why, why would you ever actually want to be James yeah. Bond? His no, lady's constantly dying. Constantly That's bad. dying, right? Notoriously bad thing to have happen to you. Yeah, yeah. 
He's constantly getting hurt, hit by cars. He has to jump. He has to jump off really high stuff all the jump time. Jump off high stuff. I assume yeah. he spends an unbelievable amount of time on airplanes. Can't be good oh, for and you. They never show it. Of t- oh, yeah. He's in the Bahamas, and then he's in Switzerland, and then he's in, you're just like that's like a twenty three hour flight. That's what? That's horrible. Why would you want to do that? And he's like, oh, I'm here now, and I'm looking awesome with my sunglasses. It's a tough life. He never looks jet lagged or tired. No, I, yeah. Well, I think he's just always tired. Perpetually. Oh, maybe that's it. So the only- that's been my secret for years. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's like the Hulk, right? He's just always angry. You just, you just you, we don't know the 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 rested James Bond. <laughs> we only know the super tired. Well, I mean, they, they go to a lot of liberties with how quickly he can move around the globe. But per- conceivably, he could be on a special plane. Uh, somebody else. Like the other one that that I laugh at is we, I was talking. We were talking about this because I've been trying to see John Wick four. <laughs> unsuccessfully due to toronto's traffic yeah exactly i keep getting you know gonna be there eight minutes late or whatever and i'm not missing the first couple minutes i don't like movie theaters to begin with (laughs) but but there are sequences in john wick 3 where he's in morocco in the middle of the desert yeah or whatever and then the neck they cut to him in new york city yeah seemingly nobody had waited for him right, <laughs> right like he's just there in a motorcycle with a sword and you're like i'm in let's okay go. yeah let's do it yeah, yeah. tough well, life though those guys lead for sure oh, i don't even want to do it like but me. the the accoutrement of being a bond whether it's the watch oh, the suit dope. the car oh, amazing the gambling, right? The the you know I I don't know if I've ever necessarily seen Bond with a hangover, right? Oh, he, like, yeah, it's not possible. Or at least he suffers through them with such a you know a chip on his shoulder. Yes, exactly. It. Yeah, he just no. It's 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 true, and it, and it's like this this lifestyle that the 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 Bond lifestyle, obviously, which is its own genre of thing. Absolutely, right? there's like there's podcasts and YouTube yeah, yeah. channels and everything, and I am absolutely a sucker for it, right? I, I think you have to be. I just, I, but I'm, I'm. It's just because I like to have an imagination, right? Like I, I, e- I equal parts want to be James Bond and a Ghostbuster, right? So okay. you know what I mean. So sure. like, it's, it's not, it's not this James Bond's life's particular. I just, I'm a sucker for, like, I want to be a Mandalorian. Okay. Like, tomorrow, that's probably what I'll, what I'll that's what I'm just want to put the armor on, and this is the way. You know what I mean? But yeah, when it comes to James Bond stuff, they, it, it's more applicable to. You obviously can't. I can't go to work dressed as Din Djarin from The Mandalorian. It's not True. a thing. Yeah. But I could This go episode to work. comes out May 4th. Oh, there you go. I know you're May a real Star Wars you. guy. You went down and did the one yeah. of the Disney experiences. Yeah, yeah. Did, did you buy the, the lightsaber? I didn't. I didn't buy a lightsaber because I stood there and I looked at them. <laughs> and and, I, and I'm, I'm, you know what I did buy? I bought a $200 head-to-toe Jedi costume, though. So I, That's got to be in a skit sometime soon. At some point, yeah. yeah. yeah Just that, write it off. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Actually, I talked to my accountant. I'm not allowed. Um, <laughs> try, trust me. The, the James Bond thing. Like, I have oh, I have the jacket that he wears in um, No Time to Die. Sure. The, the, the cool uh, uh, waxed cotton one right right? and you know wear that on camera and some people recognize the jacket because they are also bond Bond enthusiasts right Bond nerds yeah it's just cool because obviously like they've got the best people in the world that are dressing him for designing his costume so he's gonna look cool yeah i know that this is this is really dating it but back when he probably between casino royale and quantum and way back in the day with the nerdist podcast he was on and and uh, Daniel Craig was on and one of the co-hosts Matt had a real thing for Bond and especially Bond's wardrobe right um, that he was saying that most of the wardrobe was his oh I don't even know. that's so cool yeah. oh it's so cool well and then I'm, I'm sure you know the story from Skyfall with the gloves 
I don't actually. Oh, oh this man. sounds like a story I should know, though. I don't know if we've told this on the show. Uh, I'll keep it to the two or three minute. I'll attempt to make it a two or three minute story. Okay. So there's famously a scene in Skyfall where he's in the casino with the Komodo dragons. Yep. Right. And yep. he gets in a fight in the Komodo dragon pit. Yes. And in that sequence, he draws a weapon. It gets knocked away from him. And the weapon previous in the movie, you find out is like thumb printed. Or yeah, it's like palm printed or whatever. Yeah. So when the bad guy picks it up, he can't fire it. He then gets eaten by a Komodo. Eaten by a Komodo dragon. Yes. Made as that you as do quick it as possible. Movie. Yeah. So if you go back and watch that sequence now, you'll notice that Daniel Craig's hands look super weird. Oh. And it's because when they were making that movie, when he wasn't needed, he would just go to, I guess they were in Macau or whatever, yeah. and he would go shopping. Oh. He'd just go shopping. And okay. I know one day, apparent, and this is, again, this is all something I heard through podcasts and such, so not directly from either him or uh, Sam Mendez's mouth, uh, but apparently Mendez is in the middle of like one of the most hectic, troublesome, difficult shoots out there, right? <laughs> He's just this, shopping around This the is court. an experience that Daniel Craig would later say he would rather crawl through glass than make another Bond movie. Right, yeah. Of yes, course, exactly. he did make another Money Helps, yeah, but yeah. I guess during some very stressful times, he showed up just to show Sam some gloves that he bought because he thought that that Bond would really wear these gloves. Right. And he said, I'm going to wear them at the casino scene. Okay. And they were like, yeah, fine. Like, but the gun is hand-printed. Right? And so then it goes all the way. They make the whole movie. And it yep. goes all the way to the point where they hire people, like entry-level people at MGM or whatever, to watch the movie for continuity problems. Right. And somebody goes, but he's wearing gloves in the sequence, and the gun is hand-printed, and he, he fires the gun. It, like, unlocks when he picks it up. Right. And apparently, like, that caused a phone call chain that went all the way up to the top, and then, then they called, you know, whoever did the special effects, and they said... um. Or, or they called the production people and said, okay, so if we have to reshoot everything in Macau, what does that cost? Right. And it was like $140 million. Of course, it's an absurd amount of money. $20 million, million dollars, yeah. whatever it was. Yeah. And so then they called the special effects people and they said, you know, can you uh, can you remove gloves from somebody's hands? <laughs> I'm sorry, you want me to make the gloves skin? And I think um, they said like, well, we can make the glove look like a hand. But yeah. it won't be removing the glove. It'll be the the hand will be glove sized. And they I'm said, gonna have to watch that scene. They again. said, oh, "How much will that cost?" And they're like, five million. Like whatever the number was, yeah, yeah. it was a fraction. Yeah. And they're like, "All right, get to it." Oh my god, those are the most expensive gloves in history. It has to. They be. must yeah. be the most expensive gloves yeah. in history. That's actually that's like when they uh, when uh, Henry Cavill was the mustache, the the, cla- <laughs> the the famous mustache scene. It looks horrible. Yeah, they talk about that on Corridor Crew, oh, and they show god. it every now and then because his lip yeah. kind of. It, his lip moves in a way that it shouldn't sometimes. So funny when they have to do stuff like that. I know it seems absurd to, to charge millions to make someone's gloved hands not gloved, mm-hmm. but as an editor, I could tell you how an insane amount of work that would be. Oh, yeah. Like an absolutely absurd amount of work, like keyframing every single shot and like overlaying, yep. like the, you know, doing the scene. Well, I mean, this is oh, also why, Lord. and I bet they didn't for Skyfall because it's kind of new. So, like, motion capture is now called performance capture. Right. And performance capture includes 3D scanning. Yes. Everything. Everything. All the time. Yeah. Your people, your spaces. So, theoretically, if that same problem came up now, they would have a digital version of Bond take his glove off at some point. That's crazy. And drop that into the scene. Yeah. And then. At most, they would have to do like a face map or something. Yeah. You could even just have another person do it and map Craig's face over theirs. Right. Yeah, like like the deep fake technology. That yeah, that just kind of stuff. Oh, so I, yeah, it's it's crazy to see some of that. Um, it is a funny funny story for for the the, the Bond nerds out That's there. Great. That's great. That's great. I love that. Obviously, we, we're still on wrist check somehow. So let, let's get into okay. <laughs> let's get into my wrist check, which sure. is uh, today I'm wearing the Aqualand. 
it's a bright sunny day. I've been uh, wearing the Pelagos quite a bit and I wanted kind of something in a similar vibe, but a whole different wrist sort of experience. Yep. And so I've got on the Aqualand. So this is the loom dial from the last couple of years. It's the JP 2007-17W. It's a JDM model, uh, not currently available in the States, but stay tuned. Uh, it's a great look. It's a great looking wide. I'm just looking at it from a distance. It's got like this really like chunky military vibe to mm-hmm. it that I really dig. Yeah, it's a huge watch that doesn't actually wear that big on my wrist because it's a big square. Yeah, yeah. And then the dial's incredible, and I love analog digital. No, it looks it looks great. I also love looking at it from the side, seeing the edge of the bezel. Yeah, that just looks awesome. Yeah, it's fun. Fully graduated bezel, which I like. Loom dials are the coolest things ever. Yeah. I took this on a very unsuccessful dive in Monastery Bay for, okay. during the Road Through America series for Watches in the Wild. Oh, you told me about this. And yeah, I, had, yeah. I had this and the the Garmin Descent Mark II on, right. on my right wrist. And yeah. the two of them next to each other, just super fun. That's cool. Yeah. That's it it would have been fun to have seen it, you know, kind of glowing from a flashlight hit or something uh, yeah. in the kelp, but... My mask did not did not cooperate. <laughs> that watch is like use me, use me more. Yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. This is a watch that definitely wants to get wet for sure. Yeah. So awesome. with wrist check out of the way, I'd I'd love to go back into your background on some of the TGN topics. You talked about diving. Yep. Are you still a fairly avid diver? Uh, yeah, but very recreationally, as yeah. recreationally as like my dad grew up diving is his thing, is his favorite thing, right? So basically, as soon as I was old enough, which I believe in Canada is what sixteen, uh, ten now you can get really? Patty Junior. Oh, I didn't know that. But That's yeah, I, I think like when I got when I went through Patty, um, a decade more than a decade ago now. Is that really it? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, it was. I think you had to be sixteen or fifteen, maybe. So, yeah, same same as me, same as me then. Yeah, so I did Patty, you know, over over ten years ago, and uh, and you know he at this point was doing like a a, a yearly or bi yearly trip to the Caribbean, um, and so he just kind of I tagged along on a lot of those so growing up i just did a lot of recreational diving in the caribbean and you know i've done some diving in, in nova scotia and in in some lakes you know great lakes around here and stuff like that but yeah mostly recreational caribbean diving right like nothing past 100 feet yeah, you know just, just like fun and i got really into underwater photography oh nice while, right so uh well i got into photography in general and it just it you know, evolved into underwater photography. But yeah, no, I was I was always very much uh, into diving as long as I can, uh, as long as I was allowed to be it and do it. But uh, I, I don't get out as much as I like to anymore. Yeah, I feel that as well. But maybe, yeah. maybe we should uh, we should form some sort of an alliance, get up we to Tobermory or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we should protest our lack of diving and just go, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then I know that you've, because, uh, you know, we've, we've hung out a few times. We get lunch uh, every now and then. Mm-hmm. And uh, you've also done some, like, mountaineering as well. How did you get into that? Because yeah, not um, the easiest thing to train for on this side of Canada. No, not really. How did I get into that? I, I In university, there was a, a rock climbing gym. And uh, I just went there. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd go to the, the gym and lift weights. And then I'd go, oh, it's pretty cheap. It's like, it was like 10 bucks a month or something. So like, I'll just go here. And then it evolved very quickly. Oh, yeah. Basically. So, and I, and I um, uh, my friend Larry, who uh, who also is really into watches, just bought a Seamaster. He's very proud of it. That's very shout nice. Shout out Larry. Uh, shout out Larry. Um, he, uh, him and I were were climbing partners for for years. And we, we it just, I don't really know how it ended up. We ended up getting into mountaineering particularly. I think it started with ice climbing, actually. Oh, okay. We were just like, how do we... How do we make this more badass, basically? So, you know, we started uh, learning as much as we could about, like, the 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 tech of climbing, you know, read Freedom of the Hills back-to-back 52 times type of thing, right? And learned all the systems and everything. And then we really got into ice climbing, right? So we did a lot of ice climbing, um, Adirondacks and, uh, and all that. 
and and then we it branched into mountaineering and you know we took a, a couple courses and we eventually climbed Mount Rainier. How long ago was that? About I think 2012. It is so a long time ago, but uh, but yeah, I was in better shape then. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you have to be for mountains certainly, and if you're not, it's it's the one, it's the kind of shape that goes away very quickly. Really does like mountain fitness. Yeah, I, I always remember the first two three hikes in Vancouver. Yeah when it was like nice weather again, were the worst. Oh, that's And then brutal. you start to get your legs back and you're like, oh, I'm, I am, I, I'll, I'll survive this. Yeah. <laughs> and, and just even like training, like I was in great shape then for climbing specifically and even training for Rainier, you know, I would go to the, I would go to the gym with my plastic, double plastic mountaineering boots and a 60 pound pack and do two hours on the treadmill mm -hmm. all the time. Um, and People thought I was crazy because I was wearing. It is a little crazy. But yeah, it's cool. it is. Yeah, fair enough. Um, but and climbing <laughs> climbing a mountain just to get to the top is crazy as a concept. Yeah, yeah. and you do it because it's there, yeah. and that's the only that's the only explanation we ever get. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really know. It's good enough. It's fun. Yeah, exactly. It's a nice walk. Yeah, exactly. But uh, but even still, Rainier nearly killed me. Seriously. Yeah. Oh my god. We, you know, we live in Ontario. Our mm -hmm. altitude is zero. So for the most part, um, maybe a couple hundred feet. And when we went all of a sudden we had i think five days total to acclimatize to do the thing so it was just so challenging it's just the altitude um by the time you're at 13 13,000 feet like you, it's, you cannot get enough air in your lungs if you're not acclimatized it's, yeah. it's a bizarre feeling honestly and like i was on the verge of altitude sickness when i actually when i actually did it um out of out of like the eight rope teams that went up i think our our team, myself, Larry, and uh, uh, a girl named Rebecca, we were the only ones that made it. Oh, wow. Actually, okay. yeah. Um, and uh, there might have been, oh, there, was, well, there was one other rope team. And I'm very proud of this fact. The other rope team contained two guides and one other guy who managed to not get so sick from the altitude they had to turn around. And he was a U.S. Army Ranger, and he lived in Flagstaff. So he had a nice head start. And he was obviously a machine, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and, and he made it. I'm like, yes, okay. Um, but no, that it was it was an incredible experience. Honestly, like climbing a, like oh, a proper mountain is just it completely upends your understanding of what this planet is. Like when the sun comes up and you are at whatever thousand feet, you're like, what is happening? You do not feel like you are on planet Earth. It is the most incredible thing ever, and it's a really like um personally gratifying experience Absolutely. just to yeah. just to be like i'm not going to work today i'm a guy that walks up a mountain today it just feels good it's kind of like diving in some way it gives me the same sort of thing where it you does. go like yeah there is more to this than just like work even if work is great and you have a great job we both have like arguably two of the best jobs in the world oh 100 yeah right? i can't complain about my job but, no, no question but goodness sakes is it is it such a special experience i would love to one day do another mountain you know, and and I got lucky because uh, I was used to a, a little bit of altitude in Vancouver. Yeah, and I could train on real steep yes climbs. Yeah, and Baker's only like ten eight at yes. the top. Yeah, which is like not really high enough to get the bad part of no no it's it starts well it depends on where you're from but for it me it's yeah, it depends bad on thirteen thousand yeah. but ten thousand hundred percent you can feel the altitude if you're not used to it you can you still I found notice. sleeping at the yeah. at the where we started which yeah. was part way up. Um, just before the glacier. Yeah. Um, I found sleeping to be the difficult part. It is weird, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I just it wasn't great. And I probably the the whiskey that I brought with me didn't help. <laughs> totally I didn't probably help, could have no. skipped that. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. Um, but the the I had trained so hard for that. Yeah. I it was not a physical in the end it was not an especially physical event. It, but it was also that it's a much 
chiller mountain on a July day than yeah. Rainier is. Yeah. R- Rainier, we, we did Rainier in the spring. We were the first group that went up. So there was a lot of snow, which only makes it 50,000 times harder than, <laughs> right? So we did, we weren't breaking trail, thankfully. One of the guides up front was, right? But, uh, but it was still like enormously, enorm- it is still to this day, I think by far and away the most difficult thing physically I've ever done in my life. Like, I think by quite a large margin, actually. I, for me, it was tra- training for Baker was the hardest. <laughs> yeah, good, yeah, exactly. Sure. Yeah, I mean, do you know you know Vancouver well enough? You, have you ever done the Grouse Grind? Uh, no, I haven't. So if you look right across at the North Shore Mountains, yeah, and you know at the top is um the ski uh yep. like there's a gondola that yep. goes up to um Grouse Mountain. Okay, there's a stairway that and, goes up that, and you just climbed it. I put forty pounds in a backpack awesome. and just went up. Love it. That was the most I ever sweat in, I think it took me an hour and 10 minutes. Like, I mean, people run up that in 17, 18 minutes is like something like the world record. Jesus, that's crazy. But it's 1,700 meters, like almost straight up. That's a significant amount. Oh, it's, it, yeah. it was the absolute way to train for that. That's crazy. Um, yeah, that's But I couldn't, cool. it was the only time where I was sweating so much that like, it, there was no way to wipe it. It was just in my eyes. <laughs> I could. It was like I was crying sweat. Yeah, exactly. I might yeah. have been crying. I don't know. <laughs> the tears, Nobody yeah. was with me. I was alone. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that kind of stuff. So there's definitely some some days where I was like, this better pay off. I better not get there and be incapable of getting up the mountain. I was so worried. Oh, that, that's exactly why I, I trained so hard. Because, be, well, it's, it's, a, it's an expedition. No matter how you look at it, it's a thing. You got to go there. You get on a plane. You bring your gear. You do all the stuff, right? Yep. It's, a, it's a lot of... And hugely expensive. It's hugely expensive, yeah. right? Yep. So you're just like, I got to make sure that I can do this. And so I just, we just put everything we had into it. Basically, we were, we were training every single day. But yeah, anyway, sorry, in general, back to climbing. Yeah, that's that's just kind of how it just evolved from there, right? And then after we did Rainier, it's not that we're like, okay, we're done. I also uh, did Athabasca and uh, some stuff in, in the Rockies, right? Actually, sorry, I didn't make it to the top of Athabasca. We turned around because of avalanche risk. We ended up climbing Boundary Peak. Man, it's they're the it's endless what you can do out there in a oh, day, it's a weekend, a week. Oh, it's incredible. Yeah, yeah, I, for I, sure. I, I, I love it. And... Yeah, the the ice climbing was like definitely the the, the top of it. I, I ended up uh, working for One Axe Pursuits, which is a local uh, guiding company around here. That's where I did the caving as well. Um, and uh, and so I, I taught some climbing and ice climbing and took people out and set up the ropes and all that stuff. Right, which is yeah. a great like weekend job. Honestly, it was I loved it. I haven't been climbing a lot recently, and I think that's a combination, especially ice climbing. That's a combination of lack of time yeah. and i already probably have too much risk in my life sure it does not matter how safe you are with ice climbing or mountaineering there is objective hazard objective risk, and yeah. you you cannot control some of it right mm-hmm. you can be as cautious as you want and know how to read avalanche packs and know how to assess conditions of waterfalls and stuff but no matter what you do like stuff happens yeah right yeah so i just i i think i, I i'm not done i definitely want to go out and and do it if you know i, I try and I have a couple of different, my friend Dan is a, a, an avid ice climber as well. And he's always, uh, always bugging me to come out, but I, I, it's a, it's a combination of, I literally don't have the time and yeah, you're a busy guy. And, but, yeah. Sure. And, and, and also I'm like, yeah, but like, what if I like broke my leg or something like concern, right? I could shut down the company. Do you know what I mean? So I just, I gotta, I gotta be careful. Yeah. And it's funny because the other, the other thing that, that, that I've now become aware of as I've gotten older, like even just in the last few years is like, yeah, there was, a, there was a turning point and I, I'll explain what it is in a moment, but there's a turning point in my mind where I realized that like the breaking your leg when you're 16 or 17 and you're in a cast for three weeks and then yeah. you go back to normal life. Yeah. That doesn't happen. It doesn't now. happen. Now. If you break a leg in a car accident yeah. or climbing, mm-hmm. That's that'll be a debilitating Huge. probably thing for the like you look at like I don't know if you're a Tom Segura fan necessarily a little bit yeah but he had that whole thing where 
he attempted to, to do a, a, like a basketball layup or a dunk or something. Yeah. And slipped. Looked like a very normal fall. Yep. And I think the recovery was like two years. Exactly. Any, any of that kind of stuff can happen. And yeah. And sure, like it, it looks like this has been a like a nice turning point for for Mr. Segura. And he looks very fit and healthy. And he the does. Rest now, of it. Yeah. A huge car and watch guy as well. Yes. Yeah. Uh, which is super fun. Uh, he's got he's on the demand train via yeah. uh, Matt Farah and, yeah. and some crazy stuff. Um, I would love to drive one of those boxers. This is a, a tangent within a tangent, but yeah. those 4.5 liter oh, uh, Cayman or GT4s and such. But yeah, I, uh, I, I, I start to think about the injury thing as well. And yeah. I don't even need to do something like you have to do something on camera for a living. Yeah. Or like even when I get out on my bike, like I want to bike in a certain manner and yeah. I, I dial it back 20%. Exactly. Because if I fall and break my wrist, like what happened? Yeah, it, yeah. You can't type like, on a laptop. Not, it's like not that's even an issue. a serious injury. Yeah, exactly. No, right. it's, it's like that's not of... going to get you priority at a Toronto ER. No, it's, it's definitely not. <laughs> if I yeah. walk in with a floppy wrist, oh, like... just just the ER visit alone <laughs> is enough to make me go. I don't want. I don't. I'm no. not spending 47 hours no, sitting forever. there waiting. It's forever. horrible. Yeah. yeah, you have to be literally like bleeding from a femoral artery. Right, to be able to actually yeah. get immediate treatment in the ER. Yeah, right? Considering putting pennies on my eyes, that's yeah. when you can t- that's when you can take me to the <laughs> ER for sure. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, anyway, I don't know how we got no, on this no, topic. No, it's, no, it's all good. It, it, yeah. I, I think the next thing to transit, because I, I do want to do a little bit more about Throttle House, but sure. we did an episode just recently, Jason and I, um, talking about kind of our driving history. Okay, yeah. So I've I got a few questions one. from that. Sure. Uh, what, was, what was the uh, car you learned to drive on and who taught you? Because okay. driving is now like a big part of it, not just for the the yeah. the YouTube series. Like you love driving, you do racing. Oh, 100 percent. Like yeah. this is this has become. Yeah. You're now into the sim life. Like it's yeah. a whole thing. No, my so interestingly, my my obsession with cars and the world of cars. I'm I'm, I'm a late bloomer. I was always interested in them, but in a much more like casual capacity. Like like growing up, I you know like I had car models and I liked cool cars and I you know as you do as a young boy, whatever. But I, I was never like obsessed with them until university era type of thing. Okay. And, and, and that's where I really got into cars. But when it comes to my first car, I, the only interesting story from that, other than, you know, I went to young drivers just like you did actually. And I, sure. but the, the car that they had was a Mustang. Did you roll the Mustang? I didn't, I didn't roll the Mustang. I was an amazing story, by the way. I was like <laughs> that just the other day. Um, yeah. <laughs> The, the way you describe it, you did like from the movies when you just chunk the seat oh, yeah. fall onto the ceiling. It's great. It was a, it was a life moment. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. You uh, just hear the valves floating on that 2.4 <laughs> liter upside down. I guess I'll shut this off. I should probably turn this off. Yeah, the only interesting thing to come from that is that I, I, I learned to drive on a on a bright yellow Mustang, which was a bizarre, I think young drivers use that car for promotion for the driving school. Like, come learn to drive with us. You get to drive a Mustang type of thing, right? But as a... Probably impounded from some drug dealer. Probably, yeah, exactly. But as a a young driver, literally, not branded, um, young driver trademark, um, uh, it was terrifying. Like, I remember getting onto the highway and that thing. This was a, uh, what, this was like a, oh God, I don't remember the name of the era Mustang, but it was before they went to the the classic looking body style. So like... Uh, S95. uh, Yes, that's right, yeah. So... Like the year that had the Cobra... Exactly. Yeah, yeah that okay. one. So is that body style? And I mean, the car is objectively crap in many ways, especially oh, yeah? in the suspension. Never driven one. Well, oh yeah, well, and uh, live rear axle, live rear axle, yeah, yeah. and everything. Right. So I remember emerging onto the highway and accelerating, and the front would come up so much 
is like they, they teach you to get on the highway. You put your foot down. You, you click the little thing and you go into the passing gear and then you should get on the highway at highway speed. But I remember accelerating going like, I can't see. Like the suspension was so soft and horrendous that I literally couldn't see. I was like, this is not, this doesn't make sense as a car to learn on, right? Sure. It wasn't on plane yet. It wasn't on plane yet. Exactly. (laughs) Um, I remember not liking that car at all. I remember the steering was so numb. I had no idea what the car was doing. It felt massive. Parking, it was impossible. Mm. Um, And then they switched to a Toyota Echo and it felt like the best thing ever. I was like, I can learn to drive in this. So what was the car in university then that that like flipped the switch a little bit? So this is a bit of a story. Right near the end of university, I got a job as a private investigator, um, which I, be- I believe probably warrants a, a small explanation. Pretty at cool least. job. Yeah. At yeah. least on paper. Did you get to do like the one more thing? Which is the, the, <laughs> the Columbo? No, I didn't. I didn't. Um, I wouldn't I, be able to fight that urge. I very, I very, I very rarely did any sort of, like, excuse me, just one more question. Just one more question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, yeah, it was mostly mobile surveillance, right? For okay. insurance related things and, or the occasional classic, you know, cheating sure. those type of thing, right? Um, so you're looking for guys that, that are on workers' comp, but they're helping their friend move fridges? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. yeah. And I, I, I know that sounded like hyperbole, what you said there, but that is literally... Just trying to keep the working man down? Is literally what happens is what, <laughs> is what people... Yeah. But, you know, I don't even like insurance companies, so I don't know why I help them. But <laughs> but basically, that was my job. It was okay. getting getting surveillance footage of people absolutely lying um, about their claims. Anyway, so... As a result of that, I needed a car that blended in. I, I'm, I'm justifying this because the car's horrendous, and so you'll you'll see why. You I heard did. what the cars I had? Yeah, but I, I had two Aleros. Yeah, but then that, that's, that's like, a good PI car. It is, but it's also like charming in its crappiness. This one isn't. <laughs> okay, so I, I needed a car that blended in. It was fuel efficient. It was small. So I had a Nissan Versa with a CVT. It really was. It was bad. It was a bad era. I had a Versa briefly. Yeah, there's not a great car. Um, the CVT was, was horrendous. We can get into the Nissan of it all. Uh, <laughs> there's a rant there from me. Okay, okay. So, but that couldn't have been the car that fl- flipped the switch. No, for it you. wasn't. So at this point, I was, you know, I was interested in cars, right? It, but the thing was, and this was the kicker, and this is actually directly related to watches as well, is that I had. Every day, I mean, I was just doing 15-hour days of work, right? I would get there before the sun rose and do surveillance until the sun went down. So I had so much time to sit there and listen or read or whatever podcasts, listen to a YouTube video, slash half watch it and potentially miss the person leaving. So I just learned about cars and watches at the same time. I sat there on, on my phone and I, you know, I ordered... I, I bid on watches on eBay and ordered like some, I got a bunch of vintage uh, uh, doxes and, and uh, certinas and stuff, just like cheap things that are just fun. But at the same time, I really got into cars and I was like, okay, I kind of want a, a faster car than this for two reasons. One, I was chased down by a guy in an F-150 once and that was terrifying and I was in a Versa and he was, he, well, he caught me. Tough to get away. Yeah, it was genuine. I was like flat out and he was just like on my bumper. I'm like, is this how I die? It might be. Um, so it's like, I, I want a faster car. In so, a Versa? Yeah, yeah, it was bad. <laughs> Um, it's like that was the least cool car chase so ever. Tough yeah, car to die. A horrible, right? It's just like, yeah, I didn't roll an Aston Martin, right? I may have crashed a Nissan version. Like, oh, there he is. He's dead. It's horrible. It's just <laughs> not. It's not a cool way to go. Really. Isn't. So I didn't upgrade much. I got an Altima, but I got the coupe, and it was the three point five liter V six. Sure. And it was quite quick. Still CVT. Also had a CVT. Yes. So that that part didn't improve. Tough. But dang, <laughs> did it was it moved? Yeah. No, they hustled yeah. for sure. It was, uh, anyway, so after that, I was very much into cars, and I ended up getting a, when I 
finished being a PI. I w- I got a Saab 9.3, a manual. Uh, a recurring arrow. theme on TGN, the Saab. The Saab is great. Mine was a GM era Saab, so not nearly as cool as okay. the, uh, the, was it the 9,900 that, uh, that he had. But uh, yeah, no, it was, that was cool. That was my first manual. And uh, it was quick, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, Everything I, with a manual tr- feels quick. It's true, yes. Uh, but yeah, this had a turbocharged V6, and it was, you know, it was smooth, it was nice, it was it was different, it was interesting, and then it just blossomed from there. I got into BMWs, and then I started, you know, racing them and, and all that, right? So let's do a few of the, uh, the quicker ones then, maybe. Uh, sure. What's the biggest slash funniest ticket you've ever gotten? <laughs> okay. Uh, the fun, the funny. Okay, the funniest, the the funniest is not the biggest. The biggest was I was passing someone on the highway, and you know, as you do, I was trying to be safe, and the guy was coming up behind me. I just wanted to get out of the fast lane, and then the cop pulled me over. Very boring. But uh, the funniest was how, I, how, what was that over the limit? How many? I don't actually remember. It was like enough. It was enough that it was like I should probably fight this because oh, sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it wasn't within the the stunt driving realm, thankfully, um, which is very harsh now in in, in Ontario. Fifty over in Ontario. Yeah. Oh, so it's forty now. Forty. Okay. Well, it was yeah. Thirty in BC. Yeah. The the funniest was I just had bought my Alfa Romeo Spider, nineteen seventy two Alfa Spider spaghetti um i love that little car it's not quick at all but i had i just kind of tuned it up and i took it out onto a back road and the speedometer doesn't work and it's in miles per hour so a double whammy of not and by gear not knowing what the heck speed i'm going basically right and <laughs> so i just turned onto a road and i it's literally a back road in the middle of nowhere so clearly it should be 80 right um but it was 50 as it turns out. And, you know, I just like foot down. The minivan behind me was keeping up, right? <laughs> it was not a very fast experience, but the cop pulled me over, waved me down. He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, is this a 50 zone? He's like, yes. And he explained to me, I don't even know why he told me this, but the person that lives, like the one person that lives on this back road complained enough about people driving by, you know, going about their business and living their lives and got the speed limit changed to 50 on their back road. And then... They call the cops all the time and ask them, say, do you want to do radar on my road? You can use my driveway. So the cops just speed trap it. And I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm in an Alf. This is the slowest car on earth. It doesn't, it has 103 horsepower, right? He's like, oh, you're going pretty quick. I was like, God's sake. And then he, yeah, he gave me a ticket. He's like, it looks like you've had other tickets before. I'm like, yeah, but just shut up and give me the ticket. Yeah, there's so much talking. <laughs> I was like, just stop wasting my time. Yeah. So I fought that one. And, uh, yeah, you, do you ever any talent in uh, getting getting off of tickets, getting out of tickets? No, I know, I know. I got a great story about that too. Actually, once I uh, <laughs> I <laughs> I went to get the a ticket lowered. Uh, you know, you, you can. There's an initial meeting, right? You go up and they and they and they sometimes they'll just drop the ticket or whatever it is. They're like, she's like, I'm not dropping this. It's like you'll have to fight it. I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm I'm fighting this. I'm gonna fight it in court. And so I, I think it was like for three hundred bucks, right? And I was like. I've got nothing to lose here. I mean, other than $300. Um, I was it's like, already gone, though. It's already gone. Like, it's I'm on not, the table. Exactly, yeah. So I'm, I'm not going to like pay a, a lawyer or anything. This would be, that'd be stupid. So I'm just going to go in. So I went in. I went on the stand, and I defended myself so badly. It, it must have been hilarious from their perspective. I bet you it is. Yeah. I, can't, right? she, I was like, listen, this is, I, I, didn't do, I didn't do it. And the cop was like, but you did, though. I was like, do you have proof? He's like, yes, I literally have it right here. I was like, okay, what color was my car? And the other thing, I'm grasping at straws. He's like, it was a white Honda HFP. It was a press car. 
and uh, I paid the full amount. Very much paid the full amount. I was like, that was a great learning experience for me. Yep. <laughs> so it added the, the benefit of added time and effort <laughs> and the money, for it sure. It was a complete waste of yeah. everyone's It's time. tough. It's tough, man, for yeah. sure. Of the stuff that you've owned or do own, what's uh, what, what are a couple favorites? And then we'll, maybe we'll jump into some sure. Throttle House stuff. Yeah, a, a, a couple favorites. I, well, my alphas right now are, I, I think, the most like special things that I have. I, after I test drove a, uh, a night... Uh, it was an alpha gtv i was like i need this era of alpha i need like a late 60s early 70s alpha just super high on my something yeah. oh my god there's just something about them so I, I bought spaghetti which is a 72 spider and i love that thing and then i finally found a uh, uh for a decent price a gt 1300 junior a 1970 right so it's got like the the bertoni body and you know shajaro it's just beautiful so that's currently being uh restored uh a little bit of body work on it but uh I, th- those are my favorite cars. However, I've recently had a new love, which is my, which is Schnitz, um, the GTI that I drove in the road trip uh, video, which I believe will be out now that we are. I think it comes out May 1? Uh, the 30th. Okay, so yeah, I think, yeah. this will, it'll be out by now. Hit the show notes. Yeah. So I guess that's a good good intro. Why don't you walk us through? Because that's a, a big sure. project, something you talked to me about a couple Huge times in the past. Project. Yeah, that, that's, uh, that was bigger than anything we've ever done by, by a long shot. Um, you know, for the most part, the videos that we film, the people see are, you know, single day filming car reviews, right? Whether it's a track test or a drag race or just a, a road back road test of a of a sports car or something like that, right? Those take a day to film and there's lots of B-roll and editing and music and all that stuff, right? But we had been, we had been wanting to do some sort of an adventure for a long time, right? So we just were like, let's buy a couple old cars and do the people been bugging us forever to do some sort of a road trip. So like, let's just do it. Let's just let's go on a thousand mile road trip. And so we did. The first episode is out now and it's... Uh, there's three episodes there'll be, in total? There'll, there'll be three episodes, yep. Um, Coming out weekly? Yep, they, I believe. Well, the plan is they're going to come out every Sunday um, for three weeks in a row, and uh, yeah, it was probably the most incredible thing I've ever done. Honestly, like take <laughs> take the filming aspect away from it, sure. just the experience of driving through you know Arizona, Nevada, and California in like these '80s hatchbacks was just the most incredible thing. I love it, and as a result, I have completely fallen in love with my uh, Rabbit GTI. Um, but uh, yeah, I. I won't spoil what happens in the in episode no, two and not. three. People should watch it. But yeah, uh, but it's it's really awesome. Like we got ourselves into a, a bit of trouble, which was genuine, um, and uh, it ended up being just perfect. It ended it, the whole thing just felt perfect from start to finish. Everything I don't want to say everything went right because it didn't, but that's kind of part of the fun, right? Yeah, that's the way you do it. But uh, but yeah, people been bugging us for a while to do something like that, and it was a huge undertaking. And I'm incredibly proud of our team for pulling it together and. You know, we we had two support cars, and uh, the rest of our crew obviously was was there, and we all went on the venture together. It was great. It's cool. It was this mobile moving band of filming documentary style stuff. It was dream come true. It was amazing. Eighties Rabbit GTI. Yep, and a uh, a Sprinter Trino A eight six. Yeah, killer. That'll yeah. be super fun. I'm I'm very excited to watch that. We're recording this about um, a week and a bit before that comes out. Uh, will be super fun. Yeah. and then. The other one that will be out by the time this episode comes out, and you sent to me, and then I neglected the watch, if I'm honest. It, I forget <laughs> yeah. about things that are in text messages, especially like a YouTube video, because it's not in my feed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But you recently yeah. got to drive a car that uh, has remained on my uh, curiosity list for years, a huge yeah. Carrera GT fan. 
and something I've always kind of thought was fascinating. And then the next evolution of that being the 918. Is that the first time, only time you've driven one? It is the first and only time I've driven one. And it's the first and only time I've driven what you would consider a hypercar, right? Um, And that was an absolutely eye-opening experience. Like, I love Porsche. Don't get me wrong. But sometimes their cars are very boring and clinical, right? And I I, I don't want to sound jaded by saying that, but compared to certain types of other cars that are in the similar price bracket or thereabouts, Porsches are occasionally so good. So capable. Yeah, yeah. So capable that they just delete corners, right? You go in a corner, you're like, wow, the car did that so perfectly. I was barely involved. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? I I happened to be coming along for the ride. I was a passenger in that corner. And uh, other than things like the GT3 or the GT4 RS, the, the modern kind of turbocharged Porsches I find to be quite clinical in a straight line. The sound isn't what it used to be. It's not as visceral. It's, you know, that whole thing. But the 918 was just, the, the engine is outrageous. And I feel like, I said this in the video, I don't think everyone is talking about that car enough still. It is shocking. The engine is a naturally aspirated V8 that revs to like 9,100 RPM. And it screams. Do you think that maybe some of some of the, like that there's going to be a longer tail on the enthusiasm for that car because of what it came out against with the LaFerrari and the P1. You know, obviously we all remember Harris's, you know, yep. same tires, same track, same cars yep. with Frank Heedy and was it both Frank Heedy? It was a, a Tiff. Oh, Tiff yeah. Nadal. That's right. It was Tiff yeah, and, yeah. and one of the Frank Heedy brothers. My apologies. It's been a little while since I watched that one specifically, but yeah. we all remember that video. And I think that it even got less airtime in like it was that video wasn't divided into thirds. The Ferrari got a lot of attention. Yep. The McLaren gets a ton of attention. And then I think maybe, maybe the, maybe the Porsche was the least exciting of the three kind of visually exactly. or on paper. Yeah. But then you never hear somebody say that the thing's anything less than uh, like a next generation missile. It's insane. And, and, and that's the thing is that I it's, it's always compared next to the wild P1 and the insane LaFerrari, right? Which is just so unfortunate because if in completely in isolation you take that car, it is beyond a legend. It is so incredible. I haven't driven the other two and I'm sure they're amazing, right? Almost certainly, yeah. Right? But I, I, we fully did not expect it. We took the roof off and those exhausts come right out, right behind your head, right? And the way that the, that the hybrid fills in the gaps, it is so mind-bogglingly quick, that car. And it's sharp and precise, and it's it, the whole thing feels special. It's the steering like very good, yeah, genuinely very good. Yes, I honestly can't say enough good things about it. And when you're in its presence, it's it it feels so special, like the CGT. Like you, you just like it's a car that has a magnetic sort of exactly, um, yeah, quiet, almost quietness to it. It's yep. like you want to get a step closer to it. Yes, exactly. You want to see some of these details. I mean, Porsche does that really well with any of their special cars, like. If I see a 991 Speedster, I'm stopping. Yep. I just want to take Beautiful. a peek around. I want to see what the spec is. I exactly. Want, does it have the gold, you know, badging for the anniversary? Yeah, you know, exactly. Did the guy get the meatball in the door? Like, <laughs> yeah. all this kind of stuff. And and they do that really well. And for me, I think it'll always be the CGT. But I, I'm, I'm just so uh, very curious as to, like, what that car... What what do you what does that car do that uh, turbo doesn't that uh right uh, GT three touring doesn't like right how do you because it's it's a multiple in value of course the, it's the, also a multiple in complication yeah the well that's that's what we we're talking about I think James brought it up in, in the video he, he wrote that bit at the beginning which was uh, 
and by the numbers, the, the, the Turbo S is pretty much as quick. Right, without a, without any hybrid tech or the new sport classic might be might be something then hugely expensive again. And, yeah, yeah, and and yeah, I it's it's more it's more than that. There's more to the experience. There's more to everything about the car. It is like is that where the Porsche thing becomes a supercar, like the poster quality style supercar? Because like a 911 doesn't matter how when, fast you make it. Yes, doesn't feel like a supercar no, to me. And maybe you, that's you, being you, when you get to Carrera GT, when you get to 918, when you get to yeah, I, that must be what it is. Right, there's just something. I, yeah, honestly, it's an almost an unquantifiable. Yeah, you, you have to experience well, I mean, it, it to things that expensive often are right. Like, exactly, and 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 I, and I hate I hate even saying it because like like this just in the million dollar car is really great, right? Like, so I'm, of course it is, but but at the same time, it's one of those cars that I, I truly believe it transcends certain aspects of. It's more than the sum of its parts. Sure, right that that's almost maybe not even fair to the engineers it is exactly the sum of its parts and they put a lot of work into it right do you know what i mean it is it is an insanely well thought out machine but the other side of this is like you drive a lot of stuff yep and maybe not hyper cars but pretty much everything else you guys have some seat time in and like the cars in the price bracket two down from that so if you think that's a slow very low seven figure car probably between one and two right now are they a little more the the, uh the 918 yeah oh they're going for uh for two u.s Oh, okay. So two U.S. Yeah. So then we have the new the new crop of hybrid yep. supercars that are like six and seven hundred SF nineties yep. that sort of thing. Yep. Then the, there's the one step down from that where you still have I guess the seven twenties kind of discontinued, yep. but you would have the MC twenty and that kind of stuff. As as you branch up, like I've driven a lot of that stuff that that topped out around four hundred grand. Yeah. And then because when I was doing the car stuff, there wasn't there was no seven hundred thousand dollar supercars. Right. That's like a relatively new concept yes. to find the buyer. Yeah, that, that split the Turns buyer. Out there's a lot because they sell everything one of them. Yeah, but and then I drove. I've driven all the Bugattis. I've yes. driven like like some crazy stuff. Yeah, and in my mind, you get I would like the 720 makes more sense to me than a Chiron. Yeah, jaw droppingly fast. I do you know, like if you just want the car that makes your hand shake yeah, yeah, when you yeah. get to the end of the road. Yeah, 720 does that. Oh, 100 percent, it does real well. Oh, they're crazy. I'm sure thing. that you won't be able to listen to a podcast, and sometimes the doors won't open. <laughs> But that's okay though. But when when that yeah. thing goes, it goes like yeah, crazy. Yeah. And then like it, with a two million dollar car, you drove it, you really liked it. It's such an un- unbelievable amount of money. You know, like 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 when I see an auction result for a watch or whatever, and you go like, oh yeah, there's a good result. You know, eight hundred and forty thousand dollars for uh, <laughs> yeah, I can totally eighty one seventy one. And you're yeah. like, wait, if I actually think about that, like, where's how does like it's it's so much money. So it, thinking of so much money just conceptually. Would you spend that kind of money for that experience, or would you, yeah, that go a different direction? That, that's difficult, honestly. I mean, because as you say, it's we, you know, we're so disconnected to that level of wealth that there's nothing you can do to actually like totally. I can't, I can't pretend to like, oh yes, of course I, I would spend, that. right? But I mean, I think personally, just because I'm lucky enough to drive a lot of very fast cars all the time, I would probably go for the vintage car, right? Which is the same reason that I have to. Alfa Romeo sitting in my garage with the collective horsepower, but the same as a base Honda Civic. So I don't need the speed because I get yeah. my fix all the time, right? However, I can totally understand. Again, I can't understand because the money is incomprehensible, but I can totally understand how one would spend that amount of money on that experience if you had the money to spend because it is incredible, right? And as I said, it's one of those cars that I, I, is, I feel hampered by the cars that were next to it at the time. Because it is, it is the the engine itself to take away all the hybrid stuff, and the engine is incredible. One oh, of the wow. greatest engines, genuinely, 
right? The noise, the way that it revs, there's like a uh, a very, very visceral racing feel to the engine. The way that it buzzes as you're coming down the revs, mm-hmm. it, you know, it's, you know, it's vibrating on engine mounts and parts of the car almost feel like you're in a race car, right? Sure. And the engine itself is just a, a masterpiece, completely unrelated to the rest of the hybrid stuff. But then you add the hybrid stuff in, you got all this technology and you got all this comfort and, and all this stuff that the other cars don't even have, the P1 and the LaFerrari, and you have this package that's shockingly quick. And I don't know what all the tests say. Very few people have lapped them in exactly the same scenario, but I think... Didn't the Grand Tour show that it was the fastest of the three? I don't remember. They, they, they it may- wouldn't they talk about something that, like the price. That's as silly to me as the price. Like it's true, especially if, like if you're look if you're buying a Delara or you know yeah. some sort of cool Radical. Yeah, I want to know the lap time on yes, that exactly. tire at my track. Yeah. I want to know what some yep. factory development driver got out of it. It's yeah. Just so because I'm going to spend the next ten years trying to catch up. Yes, exactly. Right. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's the point. Yeah. You know, go to that track, see how close you can get to lap time. Yeah. Exactly. But if I'm buying a 918 or a 1300 Junior, whatever, yeah, I don't really care how quickly it covers ground. Oh, I agree with you. Yeah, it, it's it's genuinely irrelevant because you're not competing with it, right? Want some, yeah, you, you just, want you want just, something that like if it's an older car, you want something that smells a little bit like gas. Yep. The seats are awesome. You never yes, put exactly. the seat belts on. Yeah, you because look, they're pointless. It they looks probably, hilarious everywhere yeah, you go. It's yeah. beautiful. Every time you catch a reflection of it in another car, you're like, oh, I'm in yeah, this is what I'm in? Oh, God, I'm so cool. And if I, yeah. if I bought something that was $2 million, I'd want it to be the most terrifying way to spend $2 million. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. That's what I would want. Because you're not going to drive a car like that much. Right, yeah. So the, the 30 minutes, of, it's like the, the, the F40 thing. Like if you had yep. an F40, you'd drive it 30 minutes a week or whatever. Exactly. But it would be the 30 minutes. It'd be a great, great 30 minutes, <laughs> right? A real expensive 30 minutes when you factor in the, the cost to keep the car. But yeah, I, I, that's the thing about the, the, the 918, though, is that, I, as I said, I haven't driven the others, so I can't compare. But based on what I know about them, the 918, you could drive across the country in it oh sure i think but i think you know it's, a, it's still a porsche right exactly yeah. i mean the seat is quite upright to be fair um it's not the most comfortable but it is got creature comforts and i think when i was talking about the lap time the the interesting part about that is that with all of those things it still ends up being quicker than the others who went for all-out performance and have doors that have nothing in them just a sheet of carbon fiber right yeah as a piece of engineering i can totally appreciate and understand why people spend that much money on them. So that's what's interesting to me personally is that I don't generally get to, as I said, I like simple cars. I like yeah. my, one of my alphas is carbureted for God's sake, right? Yeah. Uh, but I can totally understand really digging into just how much engineering went into oh, these absolutely. things. It's, it's, it's the SR71 incredible. thing that we talked exactly. about an hour right. ago. Right? And that's why it's cool. We st- sit there and we look at it and we just go, what that thing was capable of doing at its time yeah. is shocking. And like for me, like, you know, loop back with you're talking about crazy engineering. Like I can watch the video of them making Chiron in the crazy factory and and all the insane engineering and watch Henry walk around and show you the motor and the rest of this. Exactly. I love all that. And I've driven the car. And I think like in my mind, like I I can imagine owning a car like that or or like knowing where or when I would drive such a vehicle. (laughs) You know, it's like around Monaco slowly buy a plane or something like like buy a speedboat or like I don't I don't really know. But I I do really like the engineering side of a lot and and learning. Oh, it's four turbos and 10 radiators. And oh, it's crazy. And, and, you know, when you see the motor outside of the car, you go like, wait, where do they put the car? Yes. It's so big. It's, it's huge. Yeah. So I mean, some some of that stuff will remain fascinating as it does for me with watches. 
uh, for sure. We there's still some a handful of other stuff, so it's gonna be a nice long episode. But I do want to make sure because it's something that we've never talked about, like on any of our lunches or anything. The other one I'm really curious about, and it's dissimilar from a 918, but the a Ford GT, which you guys had out in Mission. Which 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 one? The old one or the new one? The old one. The old one. The 05. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the new one just looks like a an absolute track toy, and it must be. It's incredible. Entirely it's, next level, but it's it, absolutely amazing. Yeah. It, it looks like the kind of thing that could knock a, a filling loose on on, a, on some curbing. Yeah, it's definitely stiff, but it's not actually as stiff as you think. It's just it's more. It feels hollow and loud. It feels like a race car, right? Sure. Um, but the old one, yeah, that is a, a a very uniquely special car, right? I really James is obsessed with it. Like he, I, I've been obsessed with it since yeah. the first Top Gear. There you go, both the red James's, one. They uh, love, they love, you know, I, I had a buddy year just, just years before that that had a lightning, a yep. black lightning, which yep. was like a remarkably poorly made vehicle that really, <laughs> really hustled. It was like driving a chainsaw, a yeah. huge chainsaw. Yeah. And then similar motor, at least the bottom end yep. in, in the GT. But I, I just uh, talk about a car where that for me combined the looks, the Aside of like American or North American automotive culture that wasn't just a muscle car. Yep. Like that had this European route in exactly. Le Mans. In Le Mans racing. Crazy beautiful. Then the interior is this like minimalist sort of retro futurist thing. It had, you know, only four options. Yeah. Uh, I've It's never... You, to see one of those cars is so much more exciting than even what they're worth now, let alone oh, what they so were worth six, seven years ago. 100%. Right? But and and then of course it was a kind of a famous moment for you guys in that because yeah, uh, almost, you were on a wet track with we some died. old tires. Yeah, um, and yeah, <laughs> and, and I've driven and, that track. It's slippery to begin with. It is, yeah, exactly. And we were actually at the end of the end of the uh, the drag strip braking zone. So all it would take is for one dragster to break down, dump some oil on the track, mm -hmm. and I think that's probably what happened in that spot. So a combination of old tires, wet track, and a little bit of oil yep. meant that we almost put a half a million dollar Ford GT into into a wall. Um, and uh, yeah, and that was. That was like this weird moment of like respect we gained for the car. Um, James, who was driving, very much gained more respect than me because it, he, he's a good driver. I've seen him catch yeah. some cars that have been very unruly, right? And and this was just this moment of this is far beyond what, what he could do. Like there's just nothing he could do, right? And the the lack of assists and like just the because it's just ABS, right? Yes. Yeah. And and yeah, the lack of assist and and just how simple it is as a machine is so uh, you can obsess about it, right? Sure. You can get really interested in it. You're like this is just pure car, period. Mm -hmm. And it's big, fast, loud, dangerous car too, right? So it's really I could see why you get sucked into that thing. Just what a cool car. It is just so cool. And I I drove it all around Vancouver because we had to take it from there to Mission Raceway. So I spent a lot of time just in traffic in it. And there aren't that many cars where you can just sit in it and feel cool. And that is one of those. Oh, yeah. Right? Just operating the most basic versions of the controls. Toggle switches. Even just Big shifting shifter. into second gear, which you don't do very often because first gear breaks every speed limit in Ontario. Or in Canada. Um, but, like, yeah, it's just it's just such a cool car. It yeah. really, really is. Someday. It is so low to the ground. 
Yeah, I've been super fortunate the last few years, largely thanks to like friends and bosses and stuff that have incredible cars and just let me drive them. So I haven't been like uh, uh, like in a drought since not doing the Nouveau thing anymore. Yeah, uh, but I do miss that side of like driving stuff and being like, um, that's never going to happen again. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. And certainly, I was I was too late to that game to to drive the that the first generation first series uh street gt and then the the new one i mean it was a very complicated buying process it was yeah. also pretty complicated for press to get on yeah no it it is a it is a very special car and and i i feel like i, I need to dwell on just how good the new one is as well it's something else it is it what's is, that how would it compare to a, a 720 uh m- more more intentional more intentional yeah. more this harder edge yeah exactly right <laughs> And like the steering is, it's such a boring concept to talk about, especially to those poor people who like to listen about watches. And now I'm talking about steering in a Ford GT. Maybe they're not interested, but I, I have to explain it. It is so. We're in good. the second hour at this point. They've they're gone. They've left. All right. <laughs> okay. It's just the hardcore's here now. It's cool. Yeah, the steering in that is just something else. It is just so was, good. You drove Lotus something good. else just recently that you said was uh was like a a palette changer, a four five eight pista. Or Speciale? I drove, I drove a Speciale, yeah. Was that... Is the that yellow one? Talking? Yeah, that was... I drove that in the Ford GT video. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. That was a really special car. The 458 is my... Uh, of the world of supercars, a 458 Italia is... Just a red 458 Italia is absolute dream. Give me that. I love it. Even with the paddle shifter? Even with the paddle shifter? I just... There's something about it. It's so beautiful. And I just... I don't even have to drive it. I just sit there and look at it. Honestly. <laughs> they are a great looking car. Yeah, you sure. just like just give me the shell. Don't need the engine. Just put it in my driveway. I just want to, you know, I just sit there and look at it on a lawn chair with yeah. my socks rolled up. Right. Obviously, driving the the Speciale was a unique experience because it's just the four five eight, but more hardcore mm-hmm. and and a big jump in tire. Right. Uh, yeah, I can't remember exactly what it is, but yeah, no, the car was incredible objectively, and those those types of cars, there's there's different things that go on when you drive them that you just don't get in a normal car because of the lack of insulation or because of the the technology that goes into making them right so for example in the in the 458 the the mechanism to switch the gears i don't want to say it's pneumatic eh, i could be completely wrong with that but it Hydraulic, makes maybe? yeah whatever it yeah. makes a noise okay before every gear change it goes is like this noise oh, wow. and you okay. hear it and it's just this one extra sensory sure. input to your body that you're yeah. just well, like it's, i mean you, you get these like we're sitting in front of my the stereo where like in like you i'll play a track where i can hear the person's fingertips on the on the fret the guitar yeah. string right exactly and, it, and it's, it's and it's that a breath it's that it's that extra little bit of of sensory input that takes a a car to a special car sure right and whether that is the way that it drives or the sound that it makes it's completely up to what you like but for me, that's what that car was. It was just so much interesting noise and feeling through the steering wheel and through the chassis, right? I just love it. So if it. you if if things continue to go well for Throttle House, sorry, the Throttle House. Oh, you, it's Throttle, Throttle House. It's the Throttle House on Instagram because Throttle House was taken somehow. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. that's how it goes. So I get yeah. that. So if things continue to go well for Throttle House, uh, is that is that kind of on the list of four five eight? Oh, I don't know. Maybe is that I, too much car for? I mean, you're driving an M2. That's also too much car for Toronto. It, it At is. At least it's compliant. Yeah, the, yeah, the M2 ish. The the M2 is is I fun mean, compared to a uh, Speciality. Yeah, 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 of course. Yeah. No, I, I don't. I don't know if I don't know if I can. There's no way I can afford a car like that right now. Like a yeah, four five eight, right? It's huge. Like I think the just the regular four five eight is actually a great price for what it is. They haven't actually like skyrocketed in value that much. But even then, I just don't know if I. 
can spend could ever spend that much on a on a single car i feel this way about watches all the time exactly right there's there is there's absolutely an upper limit i think to what you can get back from from a thing and there's so many great driving experiences that are not there's so many great watches that are not that expensive right yeah i mean we we talk about it all the time and and you listen to the show so you'll you've heard us ramble on but like the sweet spot is not 10 or 20 grand it isn't it's like one to five grand exactly exactly you can get an incredible watch for two three hundred dollars yep and all you're getting when you jump up higher is more enthusiasm more enthusiasm from the person who made the watch more specificity to your choice it's all like this closed feedback loop yeah do i need a pelagos absolutely not i have a surfa which is like it largely does the exact same thing for 250 (laughs) dollars the rest of it is the sickness is this a sickness but but man like when my explorer 2 was worth 15 grand a couple years ago you go like this is not a fifteen thousand dollar watch experience no it isn't this is a you know this is i joke five figure five digit rolexes should be four figure prices exactly like they largely aren't and that's the reason i don't own any rolexes personally i just like real expensive it's cyclical it'll it'll move around yeah exactly but i i just you know i I love them and, and i appreciate them for what they are but i just don't think that I, there's there is a limiting return to yeah, how much you I got get really lucky when I bought mine exactly uh, so right it's just timing but that said you it's not just the Zen you and we we spoke about you have a Bond Omega um, I know you as a speedy guy from your videos yes yeah well, how did you come get to the speedy well I've always loved that watch and I think it's just one of the coolest looking watches to ever exist it's not the newest one with the coaxial thing, right? It's the pr- one right before that. I got, I think I got the last year of the previous one with the hilariously gigantic box that it comes in. It is yeah. a ridiculous box. It is, it is like comically big. I, they delivered it to me. I was like, I don't understand. <laughs> like what, what, what is in here? What could possibly be in here? Turns out it's another box. You open that box, there's another box in that box. And then you got like books and there's just like all this extra stuff and like four bands they give you. It's great. It's a cool experience, honestly. Oh, for sure. But I'm like, what do I do with this? And now? also like the, the Speedmaster, <laughs> the whole Speedmaster experience is buying something that's more than just that product. It's exactly. It's a whole story, and, right? And, and, you know, now now one of the most collectible, longstanding series of watches ever made. And, yep. And these sorts of things. And certainly that's, I, I guess... I guess that's when we started chatting, when you were going to go buy that. Because I, I think feel like so. I, I told you yes. to swing by uh, uh, AD and see if they had the yep. the current gen at the time, yes. rather than the, it was, which so is, it was right around the time that the brand new one had been announced. Exactly, which is what I which is what I did, and ended up picking one up. But yeah, I, I just I just love I've always loved that watch. I love the the history of the moon landings. I love the story and and all of that stuff. Right. So I just I've always wanted one, and I didn't have a chronograph. So I was like, "This is I should fill this gap." With Everybody this. needs one. At least. Yeah, it was it was easily the most expensive watch purchase I've ever made, and I still don't feel comfortable with how much money I actually spend on it. Yeah, which you know it was actually below retail actually because it was discontinued or whatever. Yeah, but it wasn't. Uh, I don't know. I love that thing, and I and I and I've been wearing it all the time, and I put it on a a suede NATO. And I love suede NATOs because right. with within a, a couple of weeks, it looks like you've been wearing it for 30 years, right? So I just look like you know, I've gone through jungles and stuff with this. Realistically, I'd gone to like Costco twice, but it looked sure. like I'd traversed the Amazon. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I, I just, I love that. And I think it's it's got a little bit of a connection to cars and racing. And of course, very yeah. outside of it, right? So it's just, it was a perfect little thing. But then I, I missed having a at least a date complication right yep. and i i, I want to watch that i don't have to worry about it going underwater true right yep. and it does have the hazel light crystal so it's scratches very easily right so and i i'll it's obviously still in the rotation i, I still wear it all the time 
But uh, the Zin is currently the uh, the daily, as you as you say. And so you mentioned an SKX. We've got the Bond. Yep. The Blue Wave Dial Bond. Yep. Yeah. I got one of those. And then that was uh, an the engagement gift. And the Zin. What else? Uh, what else have you got these days? I've got a uh, a Yema. Oh right, yeah. The yeah. Um, the Superman. Thank you. Yeah, GMT. Yeah. Um, and it, honestly, I think Yamaha is a great little brand. I, they're French, right? And in-house movements, as I say, when I, when I, that doesn't matter that much to me, honestly. But it, I think it's a very well-made watch, and it's very durable. I've, I've done lots of diving with it, um, and I think they're cool. I love that they, they have the, their little unique feature, which is they've got the locking bezel, right? Right. So as you unscrew the crown, a little like bracket kind of like loosens so you can move the bezel, which does mean that if you want to adjust the bezel and you are in the water. You are Too unscrewing late. your crown. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so that's not ideal, but it is cool as a feature. But uh, I've got that. And then I've got like a smattering of, you know, non-expensive vintage things, right? Which, as I mentioned before, I bought because I was sitting in a car on eBay. But the the one nice one is a, is an Omega Genève. It's not a Seamaster. It was the one that appeared very briefly in our Ferrari 296 review. I used it as a metaphor, right? That was a very, very quick car. That uh, that is my my one nice vintage one, and well, the thing that started the whole kicked the whole thing off is that my wife bought me a Waltham pocket watch. Oh, lovely! Okay, cool. The first time I even cared about watches this was years and years and years ago. And I just opened up the back of it and I saw the movement for the first time. I was like, and I'm hooked. Yep. What yeah, is this? Great. Need to know more like about pocket this. watches are really silly, but also yep. so are lots of stuff that you probably have sitting on a horizontal surface in your home. Hundred percent. Yeah, and <laughs> filled with that they stuff. fit they fit that level of silliness yeah. really good, and they are so inexpensive for what you can experience in a pocket oh, watch. Oh, it's great. This one's you like gold. You cannot come and... anywhere near that in a wristwatch. No, you can't. It, uh, it's for, it's for a really cool money. thing. Yeah. And I know I've, I've worn it a couple times. I went to, uh, I can't remember what it was. It was like some sort of a, a garden party. Like a, it was like an event or something that uh, a couple friends went to. So we all got dressed up in era clothes. Oh, and, sure, yeah. And I wore that pocket watch. It was. I was like, yes, I finally have a reason to wear this. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, it, that was tons of fun. But yeah, that's what kicked off the whole thing anyway. And then with uh, with the Zin being a relatively new acquisition uh, from our friends in, in Vancouver, Roldorf Co. Yep, yep, they hooked me up. It was, it was awesome. They were very helpful. A- anything else on the radar or this is scratching the itch these days? This is scratching the itch for now, but I, I do really want a Pelagos at some point. I just, there's something about about how much of a tool watch that yeah, thing is. I think it would suit you really nicely as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I appreciate that. I feel like I can pull it off. Um, yeah, no, I, I think <laughs> well, honestly, just with the I, diving, but the it's diving still titanium the kind of technical. It's fun, oh, so cool. Yeah, no, I, I love it. I think it just, I think that actually, all of the Pelagoses look great, and I just, I could, I could easily be happy with any of them. I think, but uh, I'll be exactly zero surprised when I eventually get a message from Heaton that without having talked about it or had any previous conversations, he just buys an LHD. Yeah, I think oh, so. a friend of mine, the guy had one. He's like, he, it comes up every two months. Like, it's just going to happen, isn't it? I really it? like this. And he's had a, he had a black two-liner yeah. uh, in the, like a, quite a long time ago. Um, but I, I could definitely see him. And, and he's like the, the difference in the, from the, the standard size to the P39, like he couldn't care less. Yeah. Which is a, a nice power because like for me, it makes a big difference. Um, yeah. Having something that's more of an everyday size rather than like a tool dive watch size. Right. Uh, but super, super fun. I will not be at all surprised. But I guess uh, same for you. If uh, when when I get the message from you that you've you've scrounged one up, but I'm just sure finally finally got one. Yeah, I'm sure we can find one. They they um, especially with the the buy and sell on the TGN Slack. There's a uh, lot lots of motion and lots of options and that kind of stuff. But 
Look, I want to get into final notes, but I do have, um, this will be very much, you know, the, I can't remember who the stand-up comedian was who always said like local jokes, get your local work. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It'll, it'll come to me after we start recording, but I have a series of driving of questions about drivers in Ontario. Okay. Okay. Uh, and if you're not from Ontario, specifically Toronto or this area, some of this will seem like, uh, gross generalizations, but I think you'll find out, <laughs> I think you'll find out from thomas's reaction uh that my my the stereotyping i'm about to carry out will be very much on the money (laughs) okay go ahead let's see what you got so why are the worst drivers always driving a white nissan rogue oh my god (laughs) (laughs) what happened to nissan man what happened to nissan i don't i don't know i mean many things happened lots of poor choices in in upper management obviously absolutely but there's something about like a rogue is 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 um, toast with no butter and weak tea. Oh, uh, easy! It's exactly what it is. Yeah. Will you die by driving a rogue? No, no, you won't. It'll keep you alive. It, no. it, it it it'll get you from one place to another, but it does exactly nothing else. And I don't <laughs> I don't know why it is that when I'm driving anywhere, highway, back roads, up to the cottage, around here, if somebody is holding up traffic, if somebody has decided to do what I call the Toronto left, um, <laughs> which we can get into in a moment. Yeah. It's always a Nissan Rogue, and it's I think they're like exclusively road. driven by people who don't care about driving. Yeah, or yeah, or just needed a thing to get from A to Which, B, and never actually put any thought into the act of operating a vehicle. Again, <laughs> I've owned, I've owned a Chrysler Sebring. I understand the thinking <laughs> that leads to a car so bland. Yeah, but it it does. It, it's like a pandemic on the highway. Of yeah, there's the only way that we're driving eighty in this hundred and ten on the top end of the four hundred four is because <laughs> because of a there's a Nissan Rogue ahead yeah. of me. Oh, hundred percent. Either that or a Toyota Venza. I find that the uh, the, the Venza gets in my. It's always could be a Venza. Want. Sure, yeah. sure. I mean, it, and and like, uh, you know, I'll never honk at somebody in an Altima. Those are loose cannons. That's right. That's, that's <laughs> me. I see. I'm dangerous. You don't even know what I'll do. Yeah, never. Uh, <laughs> what can you explain to me? The, the and this is a sickness, and I can't figure out what it is. If they were told in a news broadcast that this is safer, why don't people pull up close to the car in front of them anymore? Like when you're coming to a stop, you mean? Yeah, like I, I was on in traffic. I attempted to go to John Wick yesterday. Right. It yeah. took me 18 minutes to drive what should have been six minutes. So yes. I turned around, yeah. meaning I had an 18-minute drive home <laughs> for a round trip that should have been 12 minutes. Right. So I'm on Bloor, which is just a busy, normal street in Toronto. And the car in front of me is maintaining, not when they're moving. You leave a gap, of course, when you're moving. Yeah. But we'd all come up to a stoplight and they would leave enough room for another car in just front pack of them. In. Just pack it in. Why not? Why just it drives me nuts. Like I don't know, like did did somebody tell them on the news or 60 minutes or something that like, oh, if you leave a gap and you get rear-ended, you won't hit the car in front of you. I don't think that's not even the case. Right. Maybe maybe someone told them like, hey, oh, well, you should leave a gap because then you can escape. You can like there's a, you can escape oh, now if someone's well, yeah I mean up. sure maybe, maybe. I, I don't know what I it don't is. know I all, feel like I was behind a guy do. in an X one that needed twelve feet in front of him when he <laughs> yeah. when he had stopped I think honestly the 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 reason for that is it's not a news thing it's just people are on their phones so much like as they come as they come to a stop they just pull out the phone and start they shoot a couple of texts and they just leave what they consider a safe distance because they don't want to end up rear ending like for me like I'm I'm a foot off of the car in front of me yeah well it because it actually it's courteous because guaranteed at the end of the line if everybody there's some guy trying to get in yeah some poor soul is trying to just get out of the middle of the intersection and you as a result have made it so that they're in danger yeah but if you think about this if you think about add eight feet to every car yeah that's a lot more car moving through the city than needs to be like we need to pack in and fit it yeah it drives me nuts that one drives me nuts here's the next one that drives me nuts and i've definitely talked about this on the podcast i think i might have cut it i probably cut it it was a rant okay 
the Toronto left. Okay, so what's this? This is when the person turning left doesn't wait until there's an appropriate gap. Okay. They just they just go into the next lane as they wait for the person walking the crosswalk to finish doing it. So they block traffic. Oh, it's I have all seen the this. time. Yeah, yeah, I see this. This is well, I, I, like I, a I don't... left is the only skilled move in conventional driving. Right. Oh, there's one other, but I'm going to save that for my next question. Okay. A left turn is the only hard turn there is. Yes. It's the only one that takes timing and an understanding yeah. of how your vehicle responds to the throttle. Yeah, exactly. It's also the only one where you have to manage um, what I would call three factors, which is the oncoming lane of traffic, yep. a bike lane, and the crosswalk. Yes. For whatever reason, and this doesn't happen in Vancouver, but it does happen here, people just pull into the left lane, into the lane in front of them, yeah, and wait for the person or the bike to go by rather than... Like, I understand you might lose, like, you might have to wait to the end of the light. That's turning you left. Well, I think, okay, the, what you just did was you explained to yourself and the audience why people do that. It's because you just outlined the fact that they're now required to think about multiple things at once. So by just blocking traffic, they've removed one of them. Yeah. You like, see, like, like, that's what it is. That's I, why they do it. Because they can't, they can't operate more than one. Like, I, I was in a murderous rage the other day yeah. because I was driving down a little road that goes, like, between up in the stockyards area, there's, you know, like a... Home Depot and a Canadian Tire and a Best Buy. There's a little road that kind of runs between them that takes you to the back way into the metro, which is where I'll go get a rotisserie chicken is what I was out for. Right, right. So I needed a rotisserie chicken real bad. Yeah. Roto or nothing. And this guy, it was stop traffic because there's a stoplight. So I turned onto the road. The other lane had stopped, you know, 10 cars deep. Yeah. And a guy coming out of the Home Depot lot turned left. There wasn't any room in the lane for him to get into it. So he sat in my lane until the light went green. Right. And then when I was started honking at him and then put my window down to tell him that's not how you turn left. Yeah. He didn't have anything nice to say in return. That is so strange. Right? Why? I'm, I'm sure he was going to be receptive yeah. and ready to just take everything you said. So that's the and, Toronto left, not the political yeah. alignment. <laughs> the ability to cross a lane of traffic uh, yeah. without just causing a problem for everyone. Well, the, I think that the main the main problem here is less to do. It's obviously to do with people. The main problem here is that we have this problem in North America where you have to turn left at a light and you can't see, and the and the, the lanes line up and you can't. See. It's this horrible system. If you go anywhere in Europe, it's just fixed with a roundabout, right? And there are roundabouts, obviously, Some. in in Ontario, but no one knows how to use them either. <laughs> no, um, because like people just make it up. Yeah, it's just, it's just shortest distance wins sometimes. It's absolute chaos. But I want to go there. It's right over the top. That's why. That's why. That's why it's there, right? It's, I drive over the circle. It's the pickup truck crossing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, but so like that problem is is usually fixed in Europe by that. But here, I mean, James complains about this all the time. Whenever we're in a car and we come up to it, he goes, "Here it is." This is the biggest problem with North America is this left turn at a light. I can't see what's coming. And we sit here and all we do is back up traffic. It is actually a horrible design. Mm -hmm. Do you do you flash your lights to warn others of a speed trap? Um, am I legally allowed to say this? Uh, yeah. Yes. I, I like I like the camaraderie. Allegedly. But yeah, allegedly one should do this. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. But I. I I, what I love about that is that it's like everyone feels like they're on the same team in that moment. You're just like, you're like, okay, well, or like I do when when I'm I'm like I I added CarPlay and everything to the old Wrangler. Yep, and all like on ways like flag it like. Oh, I always flag it on ways. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. And you get the little plus two, and you're like, heck yeah, <laughs> we gotta watch out for. I don't each know other, what man. those it's pluses are for, but I like it. <laughs> all right, here's what we'll do for the last one. Then we're gonna get into some final notes. Mm -hmm. Do you believe that the zipper merge is real? Or is it just a, a <laughs> hypothetical concept like communism? <laughs>
do I I believe it is one of those it's one of those things that in theory it should work but no one has the like the patience or the courtesy to actually execute it properly we gotta start teaching this we really should well then the the other thing is the Canadian polite thing is you get when you're on emerging laneway you go as as quickly as you can into the first lane in the lane one of the road yep that's the wrong way to do that it's significantly more efficient to go to the end of the merging yes, lane yes, and merge there. Yes, yeah. That, but it, you'll see people merge like the moment that it's available or even before. Yeah, and all they do is slow down traffic behind them, right? Yep. It, may, it makes no sense. They're either not up to speed or they don't. They didn't understand the flow or the flow is yep. expecting you to merge a yep. football field, two well, football the, fields The ahead. issue is is bitterness and, and resentment <laughs> for the people who've been in traffic for sure. like an hour and then they see people ripping up beside them in this lane. They're like, what's that guy? Why does he deserve this? Yeah. I've been sitting here for an hour. And he just arrived on the scene. He gets to go in front of me. Sure. No, it's just anger, resentment. And then lastly, <laughs> in in the scenario where it's stop and go traffic and somebody blows to the end of the, the merge lane, you let them in? Yes, I do. I'm proud to say that I absolutely let them in. Unless, unless they were, for some reason, a dick as they tried to come in. They just like cut me off and sure. gave me the finger. Then no, you're not coming. Nissan in. Rogue, no, no turn signal. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly right. But yeah, Roll I, the I, dice. I, unless I'm in one of my like prized or classic cars, I'm you. The, don't test me how much I don't care about this. Sure, crap box that I'm driving, right or whatever. It's not a, not a press car. I mean, like I've I've had a lot of really crappy daily cars over the years right just like that's the classic thing you do in, in, in canada right? everything's rusted and crappy you gotta yeah I mean, back well, in the day well, you buy some- there's always a little bit of math when you're considering a possible ramming scenario yeah exactly right you're who, just like, wins, who wins this one you, you come on in i ain't moving son yeah exactly <laughs> like, i don't yeah, care yeah. about this thing <laughs> rocking hard place fella yeah exactly yeah that's funny uh i mean yeah some of it some of it just makes me laugh and other times like when i'm not having a great day it doesn't make me laugh it makes me uh you know <laughs> very violently just, yeah it gives it just adds to my tm MJ. Yeah. <laughs> but look, this this has been a good time. It's probably going to be a pretty long episode. So yeah. look, why don't we dive into some final notes? And I think you'd said that uh, you had a book in mind. Yeah, I do. I'm going to, I got it written down here. So make sure I get it right. It uh, It's a book I read recently um, for those people that are interested in uh, cars and engineering. So we've been chatting about that. It's called Inside the Machine. Cool. By David Twohig. Tw- I, I believe I said his last name, Twohig. It's basically a story of an engineer um, he takes you through like step by step what it takes to actually engineer a car from oh, scratch, really? right? And he was uh, he was the the lead engineer on uh, the uh, the Alpine A110. Okay, cool, right? Um, and in there, he tells a story about how it almost killed Chris Harris by catching on fire on, on that Top Gear episode. I remember that, yep. which is like a big deal, right? And so he details that whole story and everything that goes on with that and the. Everything from the actual engineering to the politics of it to the financial side of it to like dealing with the bosses. And it, it gives you so much respect for car, even the rogue, even the rogue. Oh, absolutely. The, it, it, uh, the, it's my rogue thing is like 50% teasing. <laughs> <laughs> Only 50%. But like every single car that you see on the road had, had a team behind it that was either passionate or maybe not maybe they were bitter and they just had to do it they were assigned it that's also possible yeah sure but there's still so many hoops to jump through to make a car it's fascinating well it's it's so complicated it's so complicated so many regulations right i was just last night watching camisa's video about the new gr stuff oh yeah and so he goes through like a history of hot hatches and then gets to the gr yaris and explains why it didn't come here right because they never homologated and crash tested in the rest of it a Yaris. So just to bring the special one would have cost like hundreds of millions of dollars. Exactly. Like, oh, this is a very expensive 
process it, you do genuinely start to wonder like, how do you do, how do you like navigate that as a Gordon Murray or a, oh, a Glickenhaus or something huge, like that? It's just yeah, the, the small slow boutique manufacturers. And oh, and, yeah, all that kind of stuff. You start to understand why a lot of these brands that had a certain expertise didn't try and go all the way to a car. Yep, exactly. They stuck with, you know, a racing chassis yep. or, you yep. know, something like that. And it's some really fascinating stuff. I, I'm very keen uh, to, to read that. That's a great, great suggestion. It's a great book, honestly. Yeah. For mine this week, I have a really cool, pretty short photo essay that Patagonia put out um, that was based, uh, done by a, uh, a photographer named Gary Register. And it was shot in 1974. He was at the... Um, he was at the Art Center College of Design, like probably, you know, one of the finest arts colleges in uh, North America. And as part of his schoolwork, he did a photo essay about very early Patagonia when it was, you know, chewing art equipment and they were making wow. metal pitons by hand and, cool. and just getting into clothes and just kind of deciding what their visual aesthetic would be for their ads. Right. And his work very much informed the sort of journalistic style to their photography that they've had for you know, uh, Patagonia celebrating 50 years. Awesome. Uh, it's really fun. It'll only take you a few minutes. I wish it was, I wish I could tell you it was 200 images or 40. Yeah. I think it's like 12. Oh, okay. And it's really cool. And, and it gives you a little bit of a background on how much of the early days of Patagonia was kind of a family based thing between Chunard's family and Tompkins family. Yep. Uh, still one of my all time favorite companies. We talk a lot about Patagonia on the show. But this is really fun. Jason also sent it to me. He's like, in case you don't have a final note, this one's perfect. And I was like, I have this one. We're good. Awesome. Uh, I like it a lot. So check this out. Some incredible black and white photography. And, and it has uh, the photographers. It has Gary's original captions. So you can kind of get an idea of like who's in the photos and what their jobs were and how they were all like family members and friends and that sort of thing. Very cool. Love that. Yeah. Really, really fun stuff. All right. Well, look, I, that's definitely a show. Who knows how much of it I'll be able to I'll be able to keep. But uh, <laughs> I can't thank you enough for coming on. I feel like this is a long time standing. This yeah. is also the exact thing that we do when we go and have this, banh mi or we, we, chicken yeah, we, wings. We, we or, literally have just recorded one of our one yeah. of our lunch dates. It's, uh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So this is an absolute treat. Uh, if you ever want to come back on, obviously, if, if James ever wants to come on and talk about any of the stuff that we like to chit chat about, that'd yeah, be great. Sure. We do a whole Miata episode if he wants. <laughs> I'm sure he'd be right there for it. Yeah. <laughs> All my best to uh, uh, James and the entire team. A huge fan of the channel and, uh, and hopefully people will check out uh, everything we chatted about in the links. As always, thank you so much for listening. If you want to subscribe to the show notes, get into the comments for each episode, or consider supporting the show directly, and maybe even grab a new TGN signed NATO, please visit thegraynado.com. Music throughout is Siesta by Jazzar via the free music archive, and we leave you with this quote from Ken Block. If you're not scared, then you're not going fast enough. <laughs>